the quest that I've been on, having that purpose and saying, I know M&A can be done a better way. That's what's helped me overcome the grief of losing the career identity I had before. From Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner-Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a long career as an employed professional. Today on Going Solo, I'm speaking with the Chief Humanity Officer of Day One Ready M&A Consultancy, Jennifer Fondreve. As a survivor of three multi-billion dollar acquisitions, Jennifer knows how changes in your work environment over which you have no control can cause you to lose your career identity. Jennifer realized that her feelings of grief around her loss are actually quite common. On today's episode, Jennifer shares her strategies for overcoming the grief you feel when you lose your career identity. Stay with us to hear all the details. Whether you're feeling a sense of grief or any other emotion because of your own transitions, it can be helpful to connect with like-minded professionals and know that you're not alone on your journey. Inside the Smashing the Plateau community, you'll experience the camaraderie of supportive collaborative colleagues. You'll also have access to experts to help you move your business forward. Check out the Smashing the Plateau community so that you can build a successful consulting business on your own terms, doing what you love and getting paid what you're worth. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com slash community. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash community. Now let's welcome Jennifer Fondreve. Jennifer is the founder and chief humanity officer of Day One Ready, an M&A consultancy that advises Fortune 500 companies, startups, and small businesses on the people challenges of business transitions. An advisor to senior and frontline leaders, Jennifer ensures a company's human component, such as culture, engagement, and employee experience, remains central to the transformation strategy. A survivor of three multi-billion dollar acquisitions, Jennifer sheds light on navigating a rapidly changing work environment through her speaking, contributions to HBR, Inc., Fast Company, and Forbes, and her book, Now What? A Survivor's Guide for Thriving Through Acquisition, which was published in November 2019. Jennifer, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on again. My pleasure. So the last time you were on Going Solo, which was episode 93 that was released in June 2021, we discussed the impact that mergers and acquisitions can have on employees. We talked about how some employees will survive mergers and acquisitions. Um, clearly, you, you've done a great job of being able to survive them as an employee. Many, there are many employees that end up starting their consulting business when their company goes through a merger and acquisition. And that's, you know, that's one of the things we talk about a lot on Going Solo is how you go from being an employee to becoming a consultant, particularly when you've been pushed out. And the reality is that for many high-achieving employees, they don't get pushed out because of performance reasons. There are other things. And a um, merger or acquisition is, is a very common scenario. You and I reconnected recently around a post that I made about grief because one of the things that we do focus on on this show is the emotional turmoil that you go through when you leave a job, particularly when it's a, a mid to high level position where you go from a place where you're 
personal identity is so connected to what you get paid to do. You go from a place where your inbox is not only full, but overflowing. People are, are constantly waiting to have a chance to speak with you. Your calendar is always full. And then you, oh, especially if you've been pushed out and you don't have any business yet, you, you know, literally or figuratively hang out your shingle and you haven't sold anything yet. Your inbox is empty. Nobody is is after you to fill up your calendar. And it's a terrible feeling. And then you have this, this wonderful job that you loved that's behind you. And it's, you, you know, you feel lost. So, so yes, there is a grieving process. And I wondered if you can talk about your own experiences with it and, and what you've seen with other people since now this has become part of your own expertise. Well, and I, I just want to point out, David, I was so thrilled to see your posts about the grieving that an employee can go through when, whether they're pushed out, they lose the job, you know, there's a variety of reasons that it can happen. And I thought it was heroic that you, you said, hey, we need to talk about this because a lot of people have this experience and yet there's shame associated with it. And so for me, it was actually after my very first acquisition experience. I was at a company, Navtech, digital map maker. So no, digital maps are ubiquitous now. Most people would have no idea what to do without the map on their phone. But, you know, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, that wasn't the case. We were acquired by Nokia and Navtech had been, I had been promoted up, had an amazing boss. I was the head of B2B marketing globally and loved that job. I mean, I had envisioned an amazing future ahead of me. And when we got acquired, no dramatic change at first, but then the key leaders and talent that I had really admired all started to leave one by one. The boss who I adored left. I had four different bosses in, I think, 18 months. And it was it was almost like being on quicksand. You know, the, the job, the career I had envisioned just started to dissolve right in front of me. And... One of the things that helped me through that, frankly, was accidentally, it was coincidental that I uh, was speaking with someone, uh, a friend of mine whose mother was a grief counselor. And as I was describing things to him, he said, oh, well, my mom's a grief counselor. He said, you're experiencing ambiguous loss, also known as secondary loss. And the grieving, the, you know, how best to describe that is you are mourning the future that won't be. And even if you haven't lost a, a loved one, it still feels traumatic because you can have envisioned, we all do, right? We all envision a great kick-ass career for ourselves. That's, you know, that's part of what keeps us going. So when that future you had envisioned starts to just disappear and you have no idea what's going to replace it, you can experience, you, you can mourn the loss of that. So you mourn the loss of certainty, of familiarity, and of that expected future. And I, the first acquisition experience I went through was the most traumatic for me. I subsequently, coincidentally, I wasn't seeking out acquisitions. I just kept moving to other roles where I was a CMO and <laughs> we go through an acquisition. I've been on all sides and, and I saw grieving happen. It wasn't just me. And I wrote about that in my book, the book you mentioned now what? The second section of that book is about the stages of grief. And I advise people, first, you're not alone. And secondly, here's how to get from denial to acceptance, because it's real. Yeah. So, Jennifer, what did you do to go from denial to acceptance? 
One, I would confess, it didn't happen immediately. It wasn't until I had talked to my friend whose mom was a grief counselor and I was able to identify because I couldn't figure out why I felt depressed, why I was angry. And once I was able to frame that and and have it frankly articulated, right? I, I read Elizabeth Kupler's Ross's book on the, the stages of grief. And, you know, obviously she wrote about it in the context of when someone realizes they're dying, right? It's what the stages that they go through and their caregiver goes through. But there were so many applications to what I was experiencing after our company had been acquired. So once I was able to better understand this is what's happening, right? You are grieving the the future that won't be. I realized that I had been in denial for uh, too long. You know, the company was changing. New leadership was coming in. As I mentioned, you know, the, the leaders I'd had before were gone. And I was uh, stuck in, in the old way of doing things because that's what had made me successful. And it wasn't until I recognized you've got to get out of denial. You've got to move forward. I spent a little time in the bargaining stage, right? So the five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Once I got past denial, definitely was in the angry stage for a while, particularly when my boss left. Bargaining, absolutely spent time there, right? That in that stage, particularly in in work, you're you're trying to embrace, yep, I got to change, I got to move forward. There's new ways of doing things but you're still holding on to some of the old way of doing things. It's what you were comfortable with. And frankly, if it was a best practice you helped create at your company, you kind of dig in to say, listen, we were successful. You bought us because of this. And so you can stay in that stage for a while. And as can happen when going through the stages of grief, it's not a linear path, just as grieving in general isn't. You can stay stuck in one stage, think you're moving forward, and then suddenly something happens. You know, maybe there's a meeting you used to lead and now you're not even invited to it anymore. Decisions that you used to do without having to check with anyone and now you've got to check, right? So it can be a small things that that trigger your frustration and you can move back into anger. But ultimately for me, just recognizing that there were stages of grief helped me realize that it was just a stage. And that's how I, I ultimately was able to move forward. Jennifer, in the bargaining stage, who are you bargaining with? Oh, God. Um, The one I remember in particular, I used to run all of our trade show events. And now I was sharing responsibility with two other people. And I used to determine who were the speakers for, you know, we had a user group that we did attached to the trade show typically, or, you know, just shortly before it. And I determined who the speakers were. Well, now, you know, there were two other people. They wanted their people to be the speakers, and I wanted my people to be the speakers. And I remember calling my boss. She was still there at the time to say, you know, I really think these speakers are the right ones. Here's the reasons why. And I, to this day, I'm forever grateful, you know, and I was bargaining with her. I was bargaining with the guy who I thought should be the speaker. I was bargaining with the people who are now partnered with me. And ultimately, thank God she said, listen, you know, Jennifer, that's the way we used to do it. It's a whole new world. And at this point, she knew she was leaving. And, and she just said, you've got to, you have to accept that things have changed. And she said, absolutely. Do I think you're right in terms of who would be the better speaker of the people you've just articulated? Yes. 
But you also have to understand now it's not just you calling the shots and making the decisions. There are other people. So your rationale has to be broader. And so it's just one example, but that one sticks in my head because I was literally in a cab in Paris. I had just landed. I'd had this brainstorm idea of here's how I'm going to bargain and make it work. And she was just like, let it go, you know, <laughs> like, but in a gracious way, because she said, I'm, you know, you're right, but we've got to move on. Yeah. Have you had, let me ask you, have you, did you ever have one of those experiences, right? Where you're bargaining, you're kind of stuck in the middle. You're trying to embrace, the, you know, stuck in the middle with you. <laughs> so, is the song that I love. Did you ever have that happen? Well, way too many times. Uh, I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. And I'm thinking about this in the context of what you go through as an employee and how situations change, your authority changes. There are changes in the marketplace. And and yeah, there are, there are ways you use you and the organization used to do things, and all of a sudden that's changed. And yeah, it can be complicated. I remember a situation where we were making a technology change, mm -hmm. and I thought things should go in a particular direction with a particular tool, and others didn't agree with me. And so, you know, I tried to, to bargain, but, um, but I didn't come out ahead. But so you experienced it firsthand, right? And it it, it seems oh, yeah. so logical to you because you're thinking. And it seems logical. It's very frustrating to have to go through the bargaining. And yeah, and, and in particular, if it's a situation like you described where you used to have sole authority to make a decision and suddenly you don't, it's very debilitating. And, and I've seen other situations where I'm thinking of one I came across recently, an, an employee that I know was promoted and was suddenly supervising someone who was who had been a peer. And then the peer is in the position where he has to bargain for authority with, with someone who had been a peer. Mm -hmm. That can be very demoralizing. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think the, I'm glad you asked in particular about the bargaining stage, right? Because that's where it, you really feel like, I can't even believe I'm having to talk about this, that I'm having to bargain for this. And, you know, it's, it's that you asked me before, how did you get through? How did you get to acceptance? You know, I, I think fortunately recognizing first identifying the problem that I was in stages, but what I ultimately realized by the third acquisition was yes, they acquire you because they find value in your company, but they, you can't rest on past achievements right? You've got to be future focused, not backwards bound. What they want from you is not the value from before. They want from you what you can contribute to their future. And I would have to say, once I had that, that finally struck that epiphany, if you will, that is what helped me be able to embrace what was happening, embrace the uncertainty. I, I recognized, you know, digging in and saying, but look at what I've done. You know, didn't you, you acquired us for all of these good things. Great. It was for that moment that they they found value in that. Now it's what 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 have you done for me lately? How can you contribute to the future? And that sometimes can be a really hard lesson to learn. Now, if if you're in a situation where rather than going through these stages of grief because there's a change in the environment where you're working and you're still you still have the job, what happens when you go from being an employee to being being unemployed and starting a consulting business where you're experiencing grief because you don't have the job anymore, but you're not in the position to bargain with anybody about it because it's over. 
Although, I mean, there are some, I'm thinking about it, there are some cases where as part of your exit, there is some bargaining. Mm-hmm. But I'm just wondering, do, do the five stages play out the same way when when you're pushed out? You know, in the instances where I left, it was it was mutual. You know, certainly in the first one I left, I'd had four bosses in 18 months. I just felt that my values didn't align anymore. Well, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. And I was proud. I was proud of what I had achieved, but I just didn't think I could achieve anymore. And then in my next two experiences, as you said, right, I thankfully had a hand in in my exit, right? There were a variety of reasons. But your point and your question is, is spot on, right? You can absolutely feel those stages of grief after you've left for whatever reason, because now you're grieving. Again, I go back to what you had envisioned for your future, you know, because with each of these moves, I wasn't planning to go to the company and leave again, right? I, I I definitely am. I've always been a long-term player. I'd been at uh, at Navtech. I think I was there for, you know, uh, almost eight years. So it's not as though you go in, or at least I didn't with the plan to leave, but quickly realized this wasn't, this wasn't what I wanted to be doing um, long-term. And so that experience, the grief that I had was, well, what do I do now? I felt like I'm going to keep going to companies and get acquired or be a part of an acquisition team which didn't really appeal to me, but I'd never had the desire to be an entrepreneur or a consultant. In fact, I actually make, I poke fun at consultants in my book. You know, I describe them as swarms of locusts that descend on companies with PowerPoints and templates and Excel spreadsheets because that had been my experience. And thankfully, a friend of mine said, well, then be a good consultant. <laughs> so, Good advice. I'd say, David, you know, because it's it's a fair question. The grief that I went through there was recognizing I didn't want to be a, a marketer, right? I didn't want to hang up a shingle and say, hey, I've just done marketing for, you know, Fortune 500 companies. Come work with me. I wanted nothing to do with marketing. I think it had just, it had been, the joy in marketing had been squeezed out of me. And yet I felt compelled about doing M&A the right way. By the third one, I thought there's got to be a better way to do this. And so that that's ultimately that mission helped me get through those stages because I started back at zero. In fact, I would say negative 10 if I were really honest, because I had no credibility in M&A other than being a survivor, writing a book, researching about it. You know, and thankfully, I uh, I just persevered because I knew the message was important. And um, and thankfully, you know, it's played out that way. But isn't that what often makes the best credibility for a consultant? They've experienced it. They've researched it. They've learned a lot about what doesn't work and what does work so that they're in a position to guide other people through it to come out in a better way than they would without the advice. Well, yeah, but I didn't know that, right? I, I was just like... I've never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I actually had never even dreamed of writing a book. Like, I, I would tell you, I felt like Dorothy on, on the yellow brick road. And some some people just kept putting yellow bricks in front of me. And I was just thinking, what am I doing? This is, this. you know, you achieved what you wanted, Jennifer. You got to be, you know, a CMO. And you're tossing all that to start all over and become an entrepreneur in M&A, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, when people said I was crazy, I was like, yeah, you're right. But I, I just felt like I was, I was on a quest and exactly you, you articulated it exactly right. But I knew there was a gap 
there was a reason 70 to 90% of M&A fail. I experienced it every time, right? There was a lack of attention to the people piece, the emotions that people go through when change is thrust upon them, the culture dynamics and, and why that, you know, everyone goes, oh, culture, that, you know, misalignment, that's what drove the deal. Yeah, it drove the deal poorly, but then you could have anticipated that had you spent some time on the upfront thinking about, well, what's their culture? What's our culture? And how do we prepare for this? And that's where I felt the the status quo tendency uh, on how companies approached m and I thought, this is never going to change unless, unless somebody starts saying, you can do this the right way. You have to start thinking about it. Be more intentional about the people strategy. Jennifer, how does focus on a quest help you overcome grief? I think for me, it gave me purpose. It allowed me to let go of the identity that I'd had before. I was a B2B marketer. I had been in advertising, loved that. Then I transitioned uh, to the marketing side and really excelled. I was fortunate enough to have an amazing boss at Navtech. And I had identified with that company. I mean, I moved to France, my husband and two kids, you know, my fluency in French, I never thought would actually be a benefit to me in any way. And and it was in that job and it allowed me to just really grow. So to lose all of that uh, was devastating at the time. And, and it is as exactly as you said, right? When you identify with a company and the career that you've had and suddenly it all feels like it's falling apart like quicksand. So the quest that I've been on, having that purpose and saying, I know M&A can be done a better way. That's what that's what's helped me overcome the grief of losing the the career identity I had before. Yeah, that that's great. And I think it's a, a lesson and perhaps a a roadmark for other people to focus on the quest, focus on where you see the the gap and like you said earlier, focus on the future. Yeah. But I will tell you, David, I mean, I the the last thing I want to have that people would take away I mean, it was, it was gut-wrenching, you know, and I don't, I, I'm in this space now, but when an, the first M&A happened to me, it was a soul-sucking experience because everything that you had built value around, now you question it. You're not sure, right? Because the metrics for success have changed and you're not sure what they're changing into. So I would not want this to come across as, oh yeah, and it was obvious and I, I knew immediately shift and pivot and move forward like that, no. And I was interviewing for other jobs because I just so desperately wanted to get out of that company, you know, was the the second candidate uh, between another, you know, with two separate jobs that loved me, but, you know, whatever reason, didn't get the job. And I kept thinking, I will never work again. I'm good to no one. You know, you're just, your confidence is, it disappears. And I'm just thankful because now I look back and I thought, thank God I didn't get those other jobs because I know what I'm doing right now. I was always meant to do. I just didn't know it at the time. Isn't hindsight 2020? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, Jennifer, we could talk a lot more about all these issues. Is there anything else you want to mention before we close out? No, I, I, you did a great job. I'm just so thrilled that you, you've created a, a forum to talk about the grief aspect because it is so important and not talked about enough. I got a lot of positive feedback about the fact that I included that in my book, that I talk about the stages of grief. It resonated in ways I never anticipated. So bravo to you for 
for acknowledging that, right? And helping people understand who've, who've, who've gone through job loss that it's it's a not an unexpected reaction. And and job loss is, um, it's a lot more common than many people realize, particularly for, I would say, for people in the second half of their career who are often at the kind of the top of their game in their career. Uh, you know, right. if you're over the age of 50, you have more than a 50% likelihood that your job will be terminated. Those are pretty daunting statistics. Absolutely. Right. So understanding Absolutely. how you may feel if or when it happens to you and what you can do about it is really important. Right. And that's why I think your your podcast is is so valuable. Right. I, I think it just speaks to people and and it's a reassurance almost that there is you have a future life. You still have value. You just got to now decide where where am I going to put it? Where are there opportunities for me and my skill set and my ex- expertise? Yes. Well said, Jennifer. If anyone wants to learn more about what we've discussed today, um, get your book or get in touch with you. Where would be the best place for them to go? Two places. Uh, one, uh, just because I put the majority of my content um, always on LinkedIn. So my LinkedIn profile is Jennifer J. Fondreve. And then my website is jenniferjfondreve.com. And, um, you know, my website not only gives you an idea of what I do, I've got a Spotify playlist that I created for the stages of grief. <laughs> I don't know about you, but music helped me get through some pretty bad times. And so uh, I thought a playlist to help you get through the stages would be helpful. But really, those are the two places. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I just read a blog post yesterday about how uh, listening to classical music can help de-stress. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the idea came to me when, um, you know, I thought, well, when have I felt depressed before? And it was like, oh, bad breakups. And what do you do during bad breakups? Well, you know, you can listen to ACDC, Led Zeppelin. <laughs> I'm dating myself. But anyway, music can help you overcome, <laughs> you know, some raw emotions. So true. Um, Jennifer, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Going Solo. My guest has been the Chief Humanity Officer of Day One Ready M&A Consultancy, Jennifer Fondreve. Thank you again, Jennifer, for joining us. Thank you again for having me. When you visit the Going Solo website, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. On today's episode with Jennifer Fondreve, we learned how grief is a common emotion that one experiences with job loss. Whether you're feeling a sense of grief or any other emotion because of your own transitions, it can be helpful to connect with like-minded professionals and know that you're not alone in your journey. Inside the Smashing the Plateau community, you'll experience the camaraderie of supportive collaborative colleagues. You'll also have access to experts to help you move your business forward. Check out the Smashing the Plateau community so that you can build a successful consulting business on your own terms, doing what you love and getting paid what you're worth. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com slash community. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash community. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode. 